Welcome to Thrive Deeper, an ongoing conversation with Dr. Matthew Jacoby, author of the Thrive Bible Reading Guides, teaching pastor and leader of the Psalmist Band Sons of Korah. Join us as we go deeper into the Bible, discussing the passages as we read them together with Thrive. Now here's your host, DJ Payne. How you doing? Thank you so much for joining us on episode seven of the Thrive Deeper podcast. So this is the one where we get stuck into the book of Daniel. Uh, This is the first six chapters of Daniel, the first half of the book, where we cover a lot of the stories that you've probably uh, grown up with in picture books or Sunday school or flannel graph on the boards there, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, those type of things. We get into those stories. We talk about the historical significance of the book of Daniel and the key characters, people like the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, and why he is such an interesting and pivotal character in this time uh, but as you uh, as we come back after this break and we join Matt and I in conversation we are talking about what Matt is doing that day and I'm asking about him teaching philosophy and apologetics and what he does there and his passions so just after the break we're going to jump into that but I'll be back at the end of the conversation as per usual to let you know how you can connect with us at Thrive Deeper we'll talk to you then It's a great subject to teach um, because there's just lots of juicy issues and it's you know great discussion and um, it's also uh, it's also closer to, to my I mean the two my two favourite subjects to teach are philosophy and apologetics and they're obviously closer to my area of formal expertise so I um, uh, I always have a good time. The million dollar question is where does Daniel fall in between philosophy and apologetics? The book of Daniel. <laughs> Does it does it make a make a does it appear in either side? Uh, not really. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I was reflecting though on how um, how much my training in philosophy because obviously I um, train in theology as well, and, but I but the, the um, you know analytical skills that you get with philosophy and and the you know uh, a bit like. There are just so many elements that have um, been really useful, actually, hmm. because my my really my great interest is is scripture and interpreting scripture, and hmm. um, but all of all of those other disciplines have have uh, have helped that immensely, actually. Do you see as we as you've read through Daniel again this time? Do you see his personality being like that? Well, it is. It's interesting, actually, because Daniel, uh, you know, Daniel's uh, becomes part of this group of wise men, and he's schooled in the literature and the yeah. uh, and the um, culture of the Babylonians, and and I, uh, and yet he holds on to his faith. That's the thing. He holds on to his faith in the middle of that. Mm. Um, but he, it's like know your enemy. You know, <laughs> he's, he he excels more than any. In, in the palace yeah. uh, at their, you know, at their disciplines. Yeah. Um, and so he knows them, but he also holds on to his faith. And, and I think those two, 
those two things are great. Uh, you know, I think as Christians, we need to know our culture and uh, we need to know the arguments of our opponents better than they know them, you know. And, um, and that's what's, um, I mean, that really is what apologetics is, uh, is, is all about, is, is not about us going out and being smarter than everyone else and think we can argue people into the kingdom, but uh, actually just being ahead of it. Yeah. Being ahead of it. He was also a man of, like we, we hear, you know, because he lived a long life in yeah. Babylon. And as far as we know, he was by, he was single. He was dedicated to his job and everything like that. But he was, <laughs> you know, a man in the word. Mm. Like he was, he was pouring over, you know, we get that glimpse of him going through the prophecies and trying to mathematically, mm. you know, work out what was happening where. Mm. You know, he was, he was a bit of a studier. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He, he's, he was, um, and, and, um, one of the reasons that he was taken by Nebuchadnezzar, um, who just, uh, the, the background for, for Daniel, I think it's worth, uh, just reminding, um, our listeners. Um, he gets taken once Babylon, the, um, once the Babylonians take over the area of Judea, uh, or Judah, um, after the Battle of Carchemish in 605, they come down and want to take control of this region. Uh, it's an important link between empire, you know, the Egypt in the south and, hmm. and, and then the, um, countries in the north. Uh, he makes, uh, you know, subdues, um, Jerusalem, takes the cream of the crop of young people, you yeah. know, the young nobles. When you, okay, so when you say nobles, what are we what are we talking about here? Are they like the, like, is it their version of university? Is it their uni, their version of royalty? Is it their version of celebrity? What's what's yeah, the nobles? It, it's the, the the royal household and the nobility, so the upper classes, the educated uh, classes, probably priestly, uh, you know, probably priestly families or, or you know part of the royal family, people connected with officials connected with that. Um, it's kind of the inner circle of Jer- the inner Jerusalem circle. Mm. And, uh, um, education in, um, in, you know, ancient Israel was, um, ahead of just about everywhere else, of course, because of the importance that they put in knowing scripture, at least when that was a priority for them. Mm-hmm. Certainly, um, in the time of Josiah, when Daniel grew up, because I think we need to remember that Daniel grew up during the time of Josiah. Mm. Uh, even though things go bad after that, um, you can kind of think, hang on, Daniel's this godly man. What, what, weren't all the kings, uh, weren't they real godless characters? And where did this yeah. faith come from? Well, yeah. um, you know, as I said, he grew up in, in Josiah's, um, in his, you know, through his youth in, during Josiah's time. And, um, and they put he put you know just I put a lot of emphasis on on the study of on dissemination of the scriptures and you know um, Daniel is one of these young people who they, they were literate um, educated uh, partly for those purposes and th- these th- these sort of people are far and few between so really um, when Nebuchadnezzar uh, comes in uh, he takes this sort of cream of the human capital to put it that way yeah, um, yeah, yeah. from from Jerusalem um and he's going to make them serve him uh in in Babylon yeah uh, and that's his way of 
in, in a way, they're like hostages. Uh, it's not an unusual practice. They're like hostages, and he's, he's going to assert his authority by changing their names. Yes. Um, uh, Daniel gets called Belteshazzar, but we, we continue to um, call him Daniel. Call him Daniel. Uh, and the book continues to refer to him as Daniel. Um, and he's taken to, to serve, uh, to serve uh, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. So um, that's the beginning. And now after that, so actually where we left off in Ezekiel, we were a little he- ahead of this story. Yeah. Where Daniel starts, sort of we just backtrack a little bit. Yeah, overlaps uh, a little We bit. backtrack actually before even Ezekiel goes into exile mm. because um, after Nebuchadnezzar takes control of Jerusalem, um, there is a, a rebellion under Jehoiakim and that's, you know, that's... Um, uh, that's in five ninety. That's in the years leading up to five ninety seven. Yeah. So that's about sort of eight years later yeah. after Daniel goes in, well, and then yeah. and then you get and then you get these three thousand uh, along with Ezekiel that come into exile into Babylon. Yeah. Okay. So um, so we've got the we start off <clears throat> in the book of Daniel, and we we get introduced to this young uh, you know this young upright uh, Jewish lad from yeah. you know from a, from a good background and his friends. How old? Do, do do scholars think that he is? Do, is it any you know? Probably, you know, mid to late teens. Yeah, uh, probably. Um, he, uh, it's it's difficult to know exactly. He's certainly still going strong at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, in five thirty nine, uh, and and after that, even because he still he remains um, mm-hmm. in in Babylon even after that. So he would have been an old man then. Um, so look, probably, um, probably late, uh, late teens, which means that his formative years, you know, I said he grew up in Josiah's, uh, revival. I mean, his early years, yeah. but of course his family would have benefited from that as well. So he's got yeah. that, um, e- even if he was perhaps too young to benefit directly, yeah. there would have been a, um, you know, a flow on into his family. So the cultural practice here that Nebuchadnezzar is doing is, um, it's for a few different reasons. It's it's to subdue the Jews and yeah. say right we go, but it's also to benefit his kingdom to get yeah. the smartest guys yeah. from there. To, okay, give us your education. We're going to educate you in our ways as well. Yeah, and it's to make it's it's really to make these young guys Babylonian. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you yeah. know, not so much for them to keep their <laughs> Jewishness, which they obviously do their whole lives. You yeah. Know, they, they hang on to that. Well, um, the tactic actually of exile is was actually to get rid of their Jewishness, mm. was to get rid of their sense of distinct identity. Um, we, we, we will take you um, uh, and we'll take your education, but we'll leave your sense of nationalism yeah. uh, behind. And, of course, uh, the... The faith of the Jewish people is very is, is very nationalistic by nature because this is the lands, the promised yeah. land, and so forth. Um, so it it proved to be harder to get rid of their nationalism than mm. than, than they thought, um, and and certainly Daniel. And this is um, reflected, of course, in Psalm one hundred and thirty seven, which says, "By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There in the trees we hung our harps, uh, for there our captors asked of us." A song saying, "Sing, sing one of the songs of the Lord," and they said, mm-hmm. "No, we will not sing the songs mm-hmm. of the Lord while in a foreign land." And they, they um, refused to forget. They held on mm-hmm. um, to their to their nationalism. That's what that 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 psalm uh, mm-hmm. declares. Um, Daniel, of course, uh, is he's kind of the archetypal Israelite. 
um, the archetypal Israelite living among the nations, you know, the light to the nations mm-hmm. who will not be snuffed out. That's the importance of Daniel for, for, for later generations. Um, this is what it looks like to be a light to the nations. And it, there he is in, Fer- in, Fer- in, in, um, the King, King Nebuchadnezzar's household. Uh, he, all of the pressures to, uh, to assimilate. Mm. Uh, and yet he doesn't. And he, mm. and, I mean, he won't even, he won't even eat the king's food. I mean, these are, he actually comes into quite a privileged position. He's yeah. going to have a, uh, a, this rich diet of the, of the king's table, but he refuses, uh, to do that. And, um, and so he, he, he maintains his distinctness. Is that, is that purely because of Jewish food laws or why, why, why does he say, why does he and the crew um, say no? Yeah, it is actually. And he, he says, uh, that he'll only eat vegetables, mm. um, and it is because um, uh, because of the Jewish food laws, and also because um, uh, so, so they couldn't guarantee that the the meat was prepared in the right sort of way, yep. and also that it was the right sort of uh, meat as well mm. that they were allowed to eat. Um, so so they stick to vegetables, and it's interesting in um, Romans chapter fourteen, mm. Paul refers to. Uh, this issue in the early church mm. about the, you know, the weaker brother and, and talks about Jewish people eating only vegetables. A lot of people wonder why, why, why are they eating only vegetables? Mm. And it's because, cause remember he's, he's, um, speaking, addressing issue of the Jewish people in Rome. Mm. And of course, because they couldn't guarantee that meat could be available that was prepared the right way, they stuck to. Uh, only vegetables, and that was actually following the example of, of Daniel. Wow! So lots of J- Jews in the diaspora, um, even in Paul's time, were vegetarians. So um, is the, is the amazing thing in so in chapter one, Daniel in and in, in refusing the food and only eating vegetables, is it a, is it a miraculous thing? Like was it is it a sign of God's blessing right there that they do so well compared mm. to the Babylonians? Or because I've heard it argued both ways, yeah. I've heard health food people come along and say. Well, this is a sign that we should be eating any vegetables because look how well Daniel done. And then I've heard other guys go, no, no, the point of the story here is that God did a miracle yeah. because of what they were only eating compared to what everybody else was eating. Where do you fall? Um, I think it's important to recognise what what, the, what is the writer, what does the writer of the text want us to understand? Mm. Um, and I think the writer of the text wants us to see that even though in a natural sense they would have been healthier eating um, what the king ate, mm. um, uh, and that they should have suffered from eating only uh, vegetables, uh, yet they ended up, in appearance, more healthy. Mm. Uh, that's, I think, what the writer of the text wants us to, to understand, that um, by trusting in God and doing the right thing, mm. they ended up being better off. And that's and that sort of sets the pattern pretty yeah. much for the rest of the book yeah. of Daniel. We move into chapter, uh, chapter 2 where... Yeah. We get introduced, and this is where Daniel and, and, you know, there's so many echoes of Daniel in Babylon and Joseph. Yeah, there are. Yeah, in, yeah. in, you know, in Egypt. Yeah. You know, there's like so many patterns. Probably one of the biggest ones being, you know, them being, you know, an exile in a, in a foreign land and God using this gift of interpreting dreams to, to get them favor <coughs> with the powers yeah. that be. Yeah. Um, and we see that come out in chapter two, where ne- we get introduced to this first crazy dream of Nebuchadnezzar's about mm. the, the the huge statue mm. with multiple layers. That's right, and, and he and he calls on his wise men and his his astrologers, and of course, um, 
Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego have been uh, added to this number. Now, they're not there at this original consultation, but uh, he he calls his chief wise men uh, to him and he says, um, I've had this dream, you know, he's really disturbed about this. They say, okay, well, tell us the dream and we'll interpret it for you. And he says, no, no, I'm not going to make it that easy for you. I want you to tell me what the dream was and its interpretation. Yeah. And they say actually a very uh, interesting thing here. Um, They say in verse 11 of chapter 2, they say, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. And actually, the rest of the chapter demonstrates the fact that that God actually does live among humans. Mm -hmm. In fact, that he lives among these particular people, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and um, and actually the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, according to the interpretation that Daniel gives, is all about the fact that God's kingdom is present in the world, in them, mm. and that that kingdom that they represent uh, is actually going to supplant Nebuchadnezzar's yep. kingdom yep. and all of the other kingdoms of the world afterwards. Yeah. That's, the, that's the substance of the dream. The interesting thing about this um, that I just think is brilliant, that this is just what I think is amazing about this story in chapter 2, is that here, here is Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Now, let's just, I think it's important to recognise how traumatic, even though things went well for them, this is a traumatic experience. They have been wrested from their home. From their families. From their families. They've been taken into captivity. Mm. They're wondering what? What's going on? I mean, is this, and, you know, uh, um, and they're probably hearing about the, um, the subjugation of their nation and what, what is, you know, what's happening here? Is there hope for us? Mm. And God is going to speak to them, actually. But who is God going to use to speak to them? Well, he's going to use actually the king mm. and he's going to give the king a dream. And actually, the dream isn't just for King Nebuchadnezzar, partially, mm. but actually mainly is for Daniel and his friends. Yeah. So yeah. Um, <clears throat> the, the so anyway, they um, the the king says to them, if you don't, if you don't interpret this dream for, tell me what the dream is, interpret it for me. I'm going to cut you up into little pieces and reduce your houses to rubble. <laughs> They say, well, we can't. So they're done for. So the executioners go out to get all of the wise men and the astrologers and they rock up to Daniel's Mm. place. And Daniel says, what's all of this uh, kerfuffle about? And they tell him. And he says, well, take me to that, to the king. And, um, and he says, um, he says to the king, well, um, you know, what you say is uh, impossible, but there is a God in heaven uh, who can, uh, who can do this. And, um, and he tells his friends, quick, start praying, you know, and, Mm. and, uh, that God would reveal this dream. So Daniel... And, I, and he also goes to bat for everybody that he's... Yeah. All the other wise men, the other, yeah. this new club that he's a part of. He's like, hold it, don't kill anybody yet. Yeah. So Let he me. saves them. Yeah. He saves all of these guys. Yeah, yeah, They're yeah. going to live because of, yeah. Yeah, um, because of what he does. So anyway, the dream is this dream of a statue, gold head, silver breast, um, bronze, uh, iron and, and feet of iron and clay. Iron. Going from top to bottom, respectively, and that, according to Daniel's interpretation, that is um, that's a picture of all of the nations that are uh, about to come. So the head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom. Silver is the Medes and the Persians. Um, bronze is uh, Greece, and then the iron uh, 
uh, and then the feet of iron and clay is, well, the iron is Rome. The feet of iron and clay um, is, there's some debate uh, about this. Either that is, uh, because it says that um, at this time another kingdom uh, will will rise. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's pictured as a great boulder that comes and smashes into the feet of iron and clay, which then brings the whole lot down and and grows into a great mountain. And this is the kingdom of God that is going to smash all earthly kingdoms. And uh, this is going to be a kingdom while they will pass away. This is a kingdom that will endure forever. So this Mm. is actually God saying to Daniel and his friends, you're part of this kingdom. Mm. And be rest assured that this kingdom that has taken you captive, it's going to pass away. And the one after it, and the one after it, and the one after it. But the kingdom that you're a part of is going to endure forever. This Mm. is the message. And this is actually what um, what, uh, God's message is going to be to and through Daniel the whole time. All the visions of Daniel about kingdoms and empires to come are all to show God is sovereign. And through all of this, he's, mm. he's in charge of all of this. Uh, I mean, you feel like you're a imprisoned people, you know, sandwiched between great empires of the day. God mm. says, don't fear. Mm. I'm sovereign over all of this and I'm going to bring about my purposes in and through all of this. Mm. That's the message uh, throughout the book of Daniel. Um, but, uh, here, here you've got this. You've got this picture of this rock, you know, becoming this kingdom. There's a little bit of debate around what the feet of iron and clay is that uh, referring to, because um, it says uh, that at, at that time God will raise up His kingdom. Some people say, well, that that refers to what Jesus did. Jesus ushered in the kingdom uh, of God. I mean, He said said as much. Mm. Some people say, well, the the kingdom of iron and clay refers to um, a, a yet future kingdom, uh, perhaps that represented by that the um, beasts, you know, in Revelation, um, that uh, then is going to be smashed by the second coming of mm. Christ. So there's a couple of uh, different interpretations. Either way, though, the th- theology of it, I guess, is the same: yeah. is that um, that the kingdom of God is going to supplant all uh, earthly kingdoms. That's yeah. that's the message of and God we see, to Daniel. And then we get Nebuchadnezzar's uh, response. Yeah. Where and we get this a couple, a few times in this lead up as we introduce because Nebuchadnezzar is probably one of the main characters. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. in this early part of the book, yeah. where he says, you know, well, surely Daniel, your God, is you know the God of gods and da da da. But there's it's such a cold impersonal you know it's still your god yeah it's still daniel yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. great yeah, i'm yeah. gonna and i'm gonna make sure i look after you daniel and all your friends yeah. you guys are going to be looked after you're something special yeah but there's no like the the message doesn't go home mm. you know what i mean well not uh certainly not straight away because of course uh he he has that experience nebuchadnezzar has that experience with daniel um and Daniel, of course, is then promoted to yeah. very much. You mentioned the story of Joseph. Same yeah. sort of thing. He's actually yeah. the highest official yeah, yeah. in the land under Nebuchadnezzar yeah. himself, which is remarkable, actually, yeah. um, the, uh, the the rise of, of Daniel. Um, uh, and then you've got that, the, that instance where the great idol is set up and, and, and everyone is to worship it and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego refuse and they're cast into the fiery furnace. Mm. And... Um, uh, and then they, they, they go into the furnace and Nebuchadnezzar looks in 
uh, and he sees actually four men walking around in mm. the furnace and he's, uh, and they come out unscathed. And, um, and there again, he recognizes this, there's something going on with these guys and they're to be yeah. protected. No one is to say anything against their God, yeah. but it's still quite distant. Yeah. Actually, very distant. Um, until, um, until chapter four, um, when he has a dream and he calls and Daniel comes again and interprets the dream and it's the dream basically foretells, um, Nebuchadnezzar's fall. He's going to rise up in pride and then he's mm. going to, um, go mad basically, for seven, and for eat grass seven, like an animal. Yeah, yeah. for seven years yeah. or seven times. Uh, yeah, seven times. Um, could be yeah, seven weeks or months, seven months or something. Yeah, seven long yeah. it was. And um, we'll get we'll get into sevens <laughs> next week. Yeah. Next week oh, there's going to be lots, lots of sevens. Of sevens yeah. Sevens all over the place. <laughs> um, and of course, uh, this happens one day. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's on his roof, and he looks at his kingdom, and he says, "This is what I've done." You yeah, know, great I am. because I'm so great, and yeah. and he goes mad. Hmm. Um, and he ends up out in the wilderness eating, eating grass, grass, crawling yeah. around like an animal. Yeah. And um, uh, until uh, and, and the, the Daniel's interpretation, Daniel, by the way, is terrified when he's delivering this interpretation yeah. to the king. Yeah. He really doesn't want to. I mean, this is Daniel in his prophetic role. Mm. I've got, I've, I've got, I've got to tell you the truth, mm. but you're about, you, you know, you're in, you're done for. Yeah. You're in uh, and, trouble. And, and, you know, and this is going to happen to you until you acknowledge. This is the interesting thing. Hmm. Um, until you acknowledge um, that. Until you acknowledge God. Um, so uh, he says, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives uh, to anyone, gives them to anyone he wishes. So um, finally, Nebuchadnezzar does. He raises his eyes towards heaven, as it says in chapter four, uh, hmm. verse thirty-four, and. He says, then I praise the Most High and I honoured and glorify, glorified him who lives forever. And, um, and then it's got his, you know, his dominion is an eternal dominion, actually has his acknowledgement. It's mm. like a little psalm that he yeah. writes. And it says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Mm. And that's chapter four of Daniel's actually written by Nebuchadnezzar. It's actually his account. So we have a p- whole part of the Bible yeah. that's written by a Babylonian king, a Babylonian king, yeah. the most powerful man on earth at yeah. the time mm. who acknowledges the God of Daniel. Mm. And this is the remarkable thing about this story is that Daniel was brought in to come under the influence of Fer- of, of I'm sorry, Pharaoh keeps saying because it's because of the Egypt, yeah, Egypt the Joseph, the Joseph connection. Yeah. He, 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 he's meant to come under the influence of Nebuchadnezzar, mm. but in the end, Nebuchadnezzar comes under the influence of Daniel. Mm. And this is where Daniel is like this archetypal um, Israelite who embodies the role. Yeah. Well, it's us. We yeah. are Daniel. This is yeah. who we're meant to be. Yeah. Uh, he embodies the covenant with Abraham, I will make you great and I will bless you to be a blessing. Mm. And that's Daniel. Mm. And that's us. That's, yeah. It's an amazing chapter, chapter four. It's, it is, it, yeah. We could spend a, lo- a, lo- a long time in, you know, in those chapters. And we've just flown past, you know, <clears throat> two, two amazing stories. One, one quick question. So I know, I know, and this is a bit of the trick about the book of book of Daniel, and scholars will argue about uh, about different aspects of it. The chapters aren't necessarily... Like the next week this happened, or you know, it can be years no, no, later. That's right. yeah, Sequentially, yeah. can there's a few questions about how that works. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's we right. go, but they're put together in a purposefully yeah, way. Yeah. You know, they're 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 woven together in a very very um, 
you know, clever way. Mm-hmm. And one of the points that I find really fascinating is we go from chapter, you know, two about Nebuchadnezzar's dream about the statue, and it moves right into the story about Nebuchadnezzar making it his own statue yeah. for everybody to bow down. Yeah. Do, I mean, I, do you see a connection between those two stories? Is there a point that Daniel's trying to make there that obviously Nebuchadnezzar didn't hear? What you know? What the what the meanings of the dream were, and and he was going to make a great big yeah. gold himself. Yeah, uh, he he's uh, he doesn't really get it. Not until this experience, mm. uh, he, he he doesn't really get through. But it is interesting the connection between he has this dream of this statue, uh, and yet he continue, and yet he yeah. uh, he, he he still builds this statue, and and this becomes the object of worship. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's, and because this is a polytheistic society. Yeah. So the fact that he might acknowledge Daniel's God does yes. not necessarily rule out other gods. Yeah. For or himself a being a God that yeah, deserves that's right. to be worshipped. So I think exactly. that's important to recognize. It's not like, oh, well, he acknowledges Daniel's God. Why then does he make this idol? Well, yeah. because in ancient times, you acknowledged all the gods. Yeah. Uh, because they thought there were many gods. Now, in, 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 and again, just really quickly, because I know this is a question that comes up time and again, is in the story of, uh, you know, the three brothers in the... In the um, fiery furnace. In the fiery yeah. furnace. And when Nebuchadnezzar can finally look in and people dropping like flies, the guys are... Yeah. The fire's so hot, they're burning up and, you know, everything like that. What's... The, he sees the fourth man, you know, yeah. the fourth man. And there's a, always been a lot of conjecture. Mm-hmm. Oh, who is this fourth individual? Is it God? Is it Jesus, you know, pre-incarnate? Is it an angel? Who yeah. is this fourth, you know, person? Yeah. Well, uh, well, we're not told. I mean, the text doesn't tell us, but um, probably in the in the context of Daniel where there is this strong presence of the angel of the Lord, um, uh, and of course, the archangel Gabriel appears to uh, appears to Daniel. It's it's you know it, <clears throat> it would originally have been understood as being probably the angel an angel of the Lord yeah. that is with them um, because of that protective sort of role that that the angels you know uh, understood to have. Uh, of course, um, a lot of people look at this as a sort of um, as the sort of pre incarnate Christ. Mm. Um, being there uh, with them, and, and that may be the case. We, we just what's we just what's the strongest argument for that? Um, that it is you know the pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, is it is it like yeah, a, it's just he sees the figure of one like a you know like a man and and um uh yeah I, I it's just a traditional it's just yeah. traditional interpretation because there's just not much there we we don't have yes. much to work with yeah. And what I'm suggesting is that, well, we have the rest of Daniel to work with and the presence of, of angels in Daniel and the, the presence of the angel of the Lord. Um, so that, that is probably the most likely way. It's understandable that it would have originally been understood yeah. in that way. All right, let's move right along because we want to get through a couple more chapters in this episode. Uh, then we move into um, the, the next king, mm. which is the, is it the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Belshazzar? It's actually, I mean, you just said then it, yeah. it, it spliced together, but it's actually, yeah. uh, they're actually miles apart. So yeah. it's actually quite a bit later. Okay. Um, because uh, the stories that we have are around 600. The story of Belshazzar is in 539. So this wow. is way, way. Wow. I mean, Daniel now is, an, is, old is an old man. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, what is that? 60 years. Yeah. Uh, 
just about 60 years later, 539 wow. Wow. Uh, uh, BC. So um, he, he refers to, uh, um, he refers though back to Nebuchadnezzar as his father in the original text, but this could also mean predecessor or... Okay. Um, and um, this is an interesting story, um, the, the story of Belshazzar, and, and there's a famous painting of the writing on the wall mm-hmm. that people might uh, picture, a famous story about the hand that appears and, you know, the writing on the wall. In fact, the expression that we have, the writing yeah, is on yeah, the wall, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, meaning that it's, it's the, 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 your doom is upon you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, that comes from this story in Daniel chapter 5. Now, the interesting thing about this chapter is the way that secular history actually uh, corresponds. corresponds with this. Remarkably, mm. um, both the, the uh, Nabonidus Chronicle and Herodotus both tell uh, this, this story. In fact, I think there's three uh, different um, accounts of this. <clears throat> of the, the fall of Babylon, one of the great stories of ancient history, the fall of Babylon. Um, basically, what happens is <clears throat> um, there is this essentially fighting within the empire, this, uh, this between the, the eastern part of the empire, the, the, the Persian um, uh, section. So you've got the, um, the Persian uh, leader, Cyrus, comes against Babylon. And they're encamped outside the walls, really, and they cannot get in. Um, the city of Babylon had, was an impenetrable fortress, well known in the ancient world as being an impenetrable for- fortress. Two enormous walls encircling the whole city, two enormous walls. Mm. And there was uh, the river uh, ran through um, the uh, the city, but it ran under the walls. So the walls even went over the river. Mm. And the Persians couldn't get in. Mm. And actually, um, <coughs> excuse me, actually the feast, at the feast of Belshazzar, now Belshazzar, <clears throat> is the son of King Nabonidus. Okay. He's a crooked kind of character, actually, yeah. um, because he had um, he participated in the plot to kill the previous king before him. Mm. Uh, then he put his aged father in, um, uh, obviously was um, involved in getting his father on the, uh, on the throne, Nabonidus, um, but then there's some problems with Nabonidus, some disputes between him and the local priests uh, about who to worship and uh, and talk about polytheism. Mm. In the end, Nabonidus ends up going off to another part of the, the empire. And I think also Belshazzar is kind of involved in this as well. Right. Off you go, Dad. You, you, yeah. you know, maybe stokes this. So he's a crooked character, right, yes. because he wants to be in charge here yeah. uh, in Babylon. Um, and he, he throws this great feast actually um, on the on the very night when the the armies are outside the walls because he wants to say hey no one can get in we're yeah. we're secure yeah. there's no way that they can get in um, and he as a sort of to demonstrate the preeminence of Babylon he says. Uh, or the preeminence of the Babylonian gods over the gods of other nations. He says, for example, um, uh, remember how my predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, destroyed the Temple of Jerusalem mm. and uh, got all the sacred articles. Hey, they haven't been able to, you know, the God of 
Israel hasn't been able to do us any harm, mm. you know. Yeah. And so it's it's a boast. So he brings the sacred articles, and they actually use at their feast. Mm. They use the sacred articles from, from the Jewish uh, from the Jewish temple, and that's his boast to demonstrate, you know, to his get to the mm. people at his feast. Mm. We're fine. We'll be fine mm. because our gods are greater than the other gods of the nations. And here's proof: we're using these sacred articles from the Jerusalem temple. Well. This is when the writing, the hand appears. <laughs> Not so, uh, Belshazzar. Uh, and there's the writing on the wall and, <clears throat> and the downfall, uh, which, which, uh, which announces the downfall. <clears throat> now, at that moment, a very interesting thing is happening. What, because Cyrus couldn't get in to the city, he goes way upriver and he diverts the river um, Way up river into um, into marshlands. I mean, how's the engineering yeah. of this? Like, it's unbelievable. <laughs> he diverts the river. Uh, it flows out into marshlands so that the the river level goes down enough for the whole army at night, while this feast is happening. And both Herodotus and um, and the uh, Nabonidus Chronicle refer to the fact that there was a great feast on mm. at the time, and that everyone was drunk. And so that the city was able to be taken at night without a battle, because they did not suspect that they would be able to get into the city. Yeah. So, um, so with the water level down, they come into the city and they march straight in and they take over the city, and um, they, you know, they come in to, to this feast and they kill, uh, they kill Belshazzar and at, this is... at this very feast. So out of this out of this amazing story, we see the great changeover in history. Yeah. Uh, you know the first, you know the very first uh, prophecy that, that Daniel had right at the beginning when he when he came there, and the dream of the of the different leveled you know multi leveled statue there. This is the first part of that coming to yeah. fruition, where the Babylonians are gone, yeah. been taken over by the Persians, yeah. um, and through some sort of you know, hand of providence. Uh, Daniel is not, you know, one of the ones that is wiped out. He's he's kept there yeah, and honoured right. honoured by the Persians. Yeah, so he stays. So um, Cyrus, um, the Persian, he uh, allows the Jewish people to go to go home. This is a momentous event in 539 uh, BC. He's, I mean, it's it's amazing. First of all, that they existed still as a distinct people group. Yes. <clears throat> um, uh, and then, th- and then that they were set free to go back uh, to Jerusalem um, uh, because they had livelihoods there, you know, yeah, and settled down. They'd settled down, um, but of course, Daniel, Daniel stays. And there um, must have been, there must have been more Jewish people who would have stayed. Yeah, there, there certainly was. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. So there was about, I think, you know, for, or, or about forty thousand that went back yeah. uh, in in a number of different uh, shifts, yes. uh, so to speak. And one of those remnants that we would have we would be reading about um, later on, yeah. Um, you know, is in the Book of Esther, isn't it? Is that she one of the remnants? That, oh, That's right. Yeah, and Esther, of course, stays in in, uh, in, in, in in the Book of Esther is about uh, the group of people who are still there yeah. uh, in the Persian Empire. Yeah. Um, so that yeah, that's certainly evidence that there were still heaps of people. And there were heaps of Jewish people um, still there in Persia. So Daniel does stay. He's got a, you know, Daniel's an important man. He's got an important, um, 
uh, important position there. In fact, under the under Darius the Mede, and we read this in chapter six. Darius the Mede is probably not the king, but the governor. Um, and uh, in fact, Daniel is an old man under Darius. Now has an important position. God blesses him, and he rises to the top yet again. It's, it's, it's Daniel rising to the top, mm. and you get this classical, you get this classic biblical theme that happens again and again and again. Mm. God blesses his person. Mm. Uh, they rise to the top. Everyone else gets jealous. Mm. They do something to try and get rid of them. And of course, the covenant promise in Genesis chapter twelve: those who curse you, I will curse. Uh, and so it comes back on their own heads, and you back see on. this, yeah. yeah, that that in, in chapter six, that um, Daniel is there among these officials. They become jealous of him because yeah. God's blessing him. They um, set up this thing about worshiping and any worshiping the king and uh, uh, and, and anyone who doesn't, yep. um, you know, should be put to death. And um, and of course, Daniel is found to be praying. Yeah. Uh, to you know, to to the to the uh, Jewish to the, God, the Jewish God, yeah. and he's cast into the lion's den. There we have the famous story of Daniel yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the lion's den, and of course, uh, he's delivered. And as a result, all of the people who plotted this, then they are all thrown yeah. into the into yeah. the lion's den. So, it's a you know, it's a classic theme that happens again and again in Scripture. So, so what you have then the book of Daniel, chapters one to six, is the story of Daniel, <clears throat> and then. Chapter 7 to 12, we're going to go back actually into the body of the story of Daniel. Um, and, and you have various visions that he saw. Yeah. So it's important to recognize there's a fairly clean division yeah. uh, in the book of Daniel. Um, after the end of chapter 6, we go back and we see a lot of very bizarre yeah. visions. It's funny. Yeah. We get the highlights of his life <laughs> in six chapters. Yeah. yeah. And then we go into some deep theology and, That's you right. know, prophecy yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. So as we wrap up this one, um, you know, and this is something I've always wondered about and gone down rabbit trails with, uh, you know, with, with Daniel himself. Um, I've read some historians who, who talk about the Babylonian practice <clears> of <throat> what they were doing when they would bring young people in. Um, and a lot of them, when they were, when people served on the court of a Babylonian king, they were a lot of eunuchs. And, yeah. uh, you know, they were in some way, um, you know, uh, yeah. you know, uh, what do you, what's the nice way to say it? They were, uh, castrated. Cast- yes, thank you. <laughs> okay, that's the nicest way to say it. They were some way castrated. Yeah. Um, and then, th- then they overlay that with the very, um, uh, you know, <clears throat> Jewish lifestyle and belief that, the most godly thing to do was to be married yeah. and to and to have kids. We don't see that in Daniel's right. life. Yeah, there's no and, and they put two they put those two and two together because we're not obviously clearly yeah. told. But is it is it unusual to 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 think that maybe Daniel and his team were, you know, gone through that Babylonian practice of being castrated and, and become eunuchs? They probably would have been. Yeah. yeah. I think that's I think that's quite probable. Mm. Um I don't think um Babylonian kings would have had uh, would have, um, risen, you know, put people in positions of such power without them being eunuchs. Now, the reason that they were made eunuchs is so that they couldn't be competitors hmm. because, uh, to be a king, uh, you had to be able to have progeny. So, yeah. um, so by being, by making people eunuchs, that was a way that a king would, uh, prevent his closest officials from taking his place and, hmm. um, you know, plotting against them. They're, they're only, so they're, Position and power dependent on him, yeah. uh, the king. So um, it is quite likely um, that, that 
Daniel and his friends. Who and, and, when, and, if I, and if you take that in mind, and we're not <laughs> saying that that's what's presented in Scripture at all, but if you if you take that cultural practice in mind and you go back and read the first couple of chapters of Daniel, mm. it gives a whole other level yeah. Yeah. of of you know that post traumatic stress, like you were yeah. talking about yeah. before, the trauma that they were going yeah. through. And their trust in God through yeah, this process yeah, is yeah, unbelievable. It is, it's remarkable. It really is remarkable. Yeah. And to see that they things are happening to them that they, they would not ever have chosen. Hmm. I mean, they're thinking this is the end of the world. Hmm. But God is assuring them that his purpose in their lives is not going to be thwarted. And they're going through some really dark valleys. But they become greater than they ever would have imagined. Hmm. And this is, this happens again and again and again in scripture where you have these stories of people who suffer all of these things, but through all of that, God brings about his perfect purpose and they actually become greater than they ever would have imagined. Hmm. And, um, I think this underscores the fact that when you put your life in God's hands, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a smooth ride. Um, because, um, you know, God is going to take us through all sorts of experience. Uh, and the priority is that we would fulfill our purpose. The priority isn't ease and pleasure constant. No, the, the, the priority is that we grow in wisdom and faith and that we f- fulfill our purpose. Lastly, as we wrap up, is, you know, and again, we're going to get into next week. We sort of don't cover this, but looking at Daniel's <coughs> life, the stories of his life, we don't get the story at the end that he goes back to Jerusalem as an old man. He goes back no. home. No, you know? that, that would be a nice ending. That would be a story. lovely ending. He gets to go home. He gets, we don't yeah. get that ending. No, he doesn't. He, you know, Dan, Daniel, um, Daniel dies uh, in, 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 in Babylon. And, um, but he has an, an enormous, uh, he has an enormous effect there and he shines as a light. Um, I, I, you know, sometimes we bring up little, those little, little, uh, very conjectural conspiracy theories. Yeah, 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 yeah. One of my favourites, and one that I think actually has, unlike many conspiracy theories, one that I think actually has some grounds, is that the Magi that we meet at the beginning of the New Testament, mm. they were Zoroastrian astrologers. Zoroastrianism is a <clears throat> uh, is a, is a Persian. Um, uh, sort ancient, of religion, ancient yeah, religion ancient, but, yeah. you know, that has its origin in Daniel's time mm. and that probably emerges as, as a kind of garbled form of what he actually introduced because they were um, monotheistic and, um, and you know, where did that come from in, in the ancient world? Well, mm. maybe, you know, just maybe it came from Daniel and maybe, just maybe, they're, um, predict- they're looking at the stars and coming in and finding Jesus uh, goes back to Daniel's prophecy. Just mm. maybe. <laughs> I think it's an attractive, uh, it's an attractive theory given, you know, given where these men are from, given that their order probably, uh, you know, finds its origin in the time of Daniel. It's, it's, it's a fun theory. Yeah. 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 So when we, when we, you know, finish this first half of the book of Daniel, we read all the gr- classic stories that we were raised on, you know, in Sunday school and yeah. all the, that Sunday school felt you yeah. know, boards. Well, that you were raised on. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, I, that anybody raised in in that type of Sunday school were raised on these Bible study, Bible study, these these Sunday school Bible stories. Yeah. And how do we get past all the, you know, the trite or light 
teachings yeah. that we got that were great yeah. as a child. Yeah. How do we get past that into some of the depth of, of, of the weight of Daniel's story and how that applies to us today? Well, um, I think by seeing how the stories uh, fit into the big story, that's really where you get the depth. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, we know the story of how God saved Daniel. It's this inspirational story. But actually um, the role that that story plays in showing how Daniel fulfills the covenant, Mm. you know, that link between the Abrahamic covenant of blessing and seeing how that plays out in the life of, uh, of Daniel in the context of seeing what actually Daniel also has to go through while he's there, um, I think that's what gives depth to to the stories that we know so well. That's what really helps us to see that this is, and it's actually the thing that helps us to recognise that this isn't just about Daniel. Daniel in these situations, in his unique situations, embodies promises that are actually through Jesus Christ for all of us. And so... As I said before, we are Daniel. Uh, We are to be Daniels in the midst of our various circumstances. And to me, uh, that's the inspiration of of this book. Told you Nebuchadnezzar was going to be important and you wanted to take note of him. He's such a cool character in the book of Daniel. Uh, I was so excited to be finished uh, the first half of the book of Daniel. Now, if you've got questions of any sort, of anything that we've been covering in the book of Daniel, we want to hear from you. Head over to Thrive today.net.au you will see a contact form click that fill in the details and we will get your questions directly and i can give them to matt and we can have a conversation from there the other thing that you could do for us as a brand new podcast is you could head over to the itunes store go to the podcast and find us in itunes give us a fantastic rating give us five stars say some nice words about us and when you do that itunes elevates our podcast so more people can find it it's really simple only take you a couple minutes uh but until next week that's enough homework for now this has been dj Payne for thrive deeper thanks for listening to thrive deeper If you have questions you would like answered, contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Thrive Deeper or at the Thrive Today website where you can also subscribe to the Thrive Daily Bible Reading Guide. That's at thrivetoday.net.au. Until next time, Thrive.